0: One, there Boom What up ladies and gents Veterans Woo-hoo. Day special Ask a business attorney a question So let's
1: see what Aha. he's got to share with us James drop that fire All right, all you business pros out there, before we jump into the show, just a quick reminder to please subscribe on whichever platform it is that you're catching us on today. Give us a like, give us a follow, subscribe, and drop a review. Help other like-minded business owners find value from our awesome guests as we rise up in the podcast rankings. We will really appreciate it, and if you want to be a guest on the show, we'd love to have you on and learn from you too. Go to www.businessbros.biz slash podcast guest to schedule your time slot. And don't forget to follow us on all social media at in business bros pod. I almost did it, Ooh, again. Almost did it again. We are so honored, so excited to bring yet another incredible guest to the business bros pod. When investing in, in real estate, especially syndications and multifamily properties, it's so easy for real estate transactions to get muddled up by the courtroom. The best thing you can do for yourself as an investor is, to be proactive and talk to an attorney beforehand and our guest today is just that resource that you need our guest today is a passionate attorney who loves helping people whether he's helping entrepreneurs create generational wealth through real estate investing or helping them grow and scale their uh, real estate businesses he makes sure that entrepreneurs and real estate investors grow while avoiding typical legal pitfalls do yourself a favor and before investing in real estate Tune into this episode and learn from our awesome guests. Coming to us today out of Los Angeles, welcome to the show, attorney Jeff Love.
2: Shut up and sit down. The Business Bros Podcast was created for you. Learn from the business professionals who come to share their stories. Find out what's working in business on social media, what's hot and what's not, straight from the mouths of successful entrepreneurs out there doing the real work. And now, welcome to another episode of
0: Business, business Brothers.
2: Brothers.
0: Yeah! <laughs> Wednesday Veterans Day special. Jeff, welcome <laughs> to the program, my
3: friend. Thanks for having me, guys.
0: So we're uh we're excited to have you on the show. We're ready. First of all, your your last name is Love. So I'm just going to start right there. How does a guy with the last name Love get into real estate business law?
3: I should have done family law, of course. Love <laughs> law. <laughs> and if I couldn't do that, if I, was, if I was smarter, I could have been Dr. Love. That would have been me. <laughs> There you go. <laughs> then you
0: could have been, the been on best. the radio, man, or had your own podcast show, <laughs> Late yeah. Nights with Dr. Doctor Love. Love.
3: Yeah. <laughs> I'm doing real estate. I can do the doctor, do family law. So, you know, th- third best real estate business law. Right.
0: <laughs> That'll work. That'll work. No complaints. So how'd you get, how'd you get into it, man? How'd you, what, what, uh, what put you in that uh, path?
3: I think I've always had that kind of entrepreneur spirit, you know, from high school, college, I wanted to, I want to be a real estate developer. So I wanted to learn about the law, you know, know what i'm doing in terms of contracts didn't want to screw up didn't want someone to tell me i'm messing things up and really understand what i'm reading so i went to law school with that intention really liked contracts transactions got out of law school figured you know i'm going to be an attorney for a couple years i'm going to learn how to practice and then i'm going to go off and do my own thing and after a couple years i liked it more i liked being able to help you know different entrepreneurs different clients big small real estate transactions, forming businesses, buying businesses. So I kind of got the best of both worlds, helping different entrepreneurs. And I, I didn't have to do it myself. I got to be behind the scenes. And that's where I am today.
0: Dude, that's uh and, and let me, whoa, got an echo there. So uh, how how often do you get clients that come in the door and it's a very reactive situation, in other words, they're coming in and they're like, Shit's hit the fan, uh, we have problems, uh, help me out from this point going forward compared to the ones who come in and are very proactive and they're like, this is what I plan on doing, uh, how can you help me structure this?
3: It's always somewhere in between. You know, The, the great clients, the ones that I think are thinking ahead, come, come ahead of time and they say, I want to do this, I want to start this business, how can I limit my risk, how can I protect myself so I don't get sued? let's do some planning. Then you've got the ones at the other end. I'm getting sued because I didn't make this disclosure or I signed this purchase agreement. They won't give me back my deposit because I blew my deadline or I missed this date. And you got most of them in between where there's the writing on the wall that maybe they didn't do something correctly, but there's still enough time to really fix it, get it done right before there's there's too much risk, there's too much exposure, or there's there's a lawsuit banging at your door. How do I
0: know when it's the time to reach out to an attorney? Like, how do I know, you know, if, if I'm going through a transaction, uh, something goes goes wrong, maybe there's there's mitigation. What's the difference between going to an attorney and having that representation versus trying to kind of work with a mediation process and and get that squared away?
3: The sooner, the better. A good attorney is not going to charge you for things that they're not doing work for. So you come to me with a question. I say, you know, you, you don't need me yet. If you're buying, you know, let's call it a duplex, and you're going through that process, you may not mean, need me for most of the transaction. You, you have a broker that can, that can help you. You may have an insurance broker that can help you with that context, other consultants. It's only where we really add value, but it's always better sooner than later so that we can tell you that. So I can tell you, you're missing this component in your purchase agreement, or you need to look at your lease with your new tenant for this. If you come to me too late in the deal, then it's often too late. So sooner with any consultant, sooner is better than later. The worst they tell you is, "No, you're too early. You don't need me yet." You get a pat on the back, say, "Come talk to me in a few weeks," or maybe not at all. Say, "I don't need you for this deal, but maybe it's the next one." But if you wait too long and talk to someone, then you could actually be in trouble because it's harder to fix.
0: We're in uh, we're in California. It's a very litigious uh, society. Where people get sued all the time for all kinds of different things. Uh, and you, you're, in California, we don't actually need an attorney to close a real estate transaction, uh, but you do in other states. So when it comes to dealing with, uh, in, inside a real estate transaction, why specifically go to an attorney in California versus a broker or adding to that team, adding that attorney part when you're, when you're dealing with the transaction?
3: For well, residential, there's not always a need because we are in a, a title state. So a lot of your closings, it goes through the escrow company where back east, a lot of times you have two attorneys sitting across the table, actually exchanging documents. So hmm. that's a, in most sense, if you have a good broker, it's a cost savings because you don't need an attorney unless it's a specific issue. It's a unique property or there's an environmental concern or there's um, you know, you have a lot of acreage, something that makes it unique. If you're buying your kind of your normal single family home, townhome, you may not need the attorney in that transaction. Where we start adding a lot more value is if there's something unique or if you are a real estate investor and you're buying a commercial property, whether that's a duplex, whether that's a retail parcel, an office, small office building, office condominium, um, home park, industrial building. That's where we add value because it becomes more complex. Broke it's you know it's different purchase agreements it's it's a completely different world from your typical residential transaction
0: Let's have some fun. I always like to poke fun at attorneys because uh, they get such a bad rap all the time. They're always there when you need them, but, but, you know, they always get that bad rap. So what does an attorney do all day, right? What, it, what, it, other than, you know, we have this stereotype of you, you wear a suit, you show up to court, you know, you lay down the law with that jury or you lay down the law with the judge and then you, you know, apologize to the judge later, have some drinks and it's all a good day. That's all we see on TV, what an attorney does. What is the life like for an attorney?
3: It is not as glamorous as the shows you see, suits or Law and Order. You can see I'm I'm not even wearing a suit. I can't tell you the last time I actually wore a tie. Being a transactional attorney, I don't even I've maybe been to court once. So my day, a lot of the days, on the phone helping clients with different issues. It's in front of the computer drafting a purchase agreement, drafting a lease, um, sending that to another attorney or the party on the other side, negotiating those issues until we have a contract protecting both parties rights you know when you're doing big deals you don't want to do things over the phone or do it on a napkin you want to make sure that you're actually protected and you you're doing that purchase agreement to make sure that if something goes wrong later on you can point back to that agreement and protect yourself the best deal is when you negotiate it you put that contract in in drawer and you never have to pull it out again but you know that it's there if and when you need it and that's where the value is
0: all right, I get this question all the time, and so I'm going to ask it to you. You mentioned the napkin contract, right? And that's not necessarily uh, the best way to go. But in in California, why is it that we have to put an earnest money deposit? Why can't you and I decide on something, write it on a napkin, sign it, and that's a, an official contract? Where does this whole currency exchange fall into into contract law for us when we're talking when we're negotiating a a real estate transaction? Why is that so important?
3: You know, you don't have to have a deposit. Uh, We do deposits typically in California for residential deals 3% because that's the maximum amount a seller can keep as liquidated damages. And the point is that there's not fighting or lawsuits back and forth. If the buyer breaches, seller walks away with that 3% and that's it. But there's no requirement that you actually have a deposit. And in fact, you you can have oral contracts in California. Real estate is one of the unique areas. Anything dealing with land, if it's greater than a year has to be in writing to be enforceable. So you want to do a 6-month lease, you and I can agree to it. But if we're going to do a purchase of a building or 5-year lease something like that, we can put it on a napkin, we can put it on uh we can write it on, you know, a piece of parchment, however you on a t-shirt, however you want to do it, as long as it's in writing and you sign it, it's still a it's still a contract. Um it's just easier to do it on, you know, on paper because the longer they get and we attorneys like to write. Uh, it's easier to do.
0: Oh yeah, you guys are good wordsmiths. Sometimes I can't even understand the English that you guys are writing in these contracts. <laughs> well, let me, let me ask you the, the, uh, the other way around. You mentioned that the reason why you have that 3% or that earnest money deposit is because that's what a seller can, uh, can go after if the buyer takes too long or breaches contract or whatever the reason. What about the other way around? What if the seller is taking forever and, uh, and not acting in accordance to the contract? Is there any recourse that the buyer can have?
3: There's a couple of different ones. Your most common one is specific performance, which means seller, you told me that you're going to sell me this house. It's a really good deal for me. I, I, I want that property. Property is unique in the fact that you can't replace it. There's only that one piece of property on that specific piece of dirt. It's not It's not a car. It's not a different type of asset. So you can go into court and force the seller to actually sell you that property. And that's that's one of the remedies. The other remedy, your typical one, one, at least in a residential context, is seller, you don't do what you're supposed to do. I can terminate the contract. I get my deposit back. Um, if other contracts, you might be able to go after them for damages, but because we are a, a, a title state and it's mostly done by brokers, we typically use the California Association of Realtor form. It's the one you'll see most often, and they try to keep the remedies a little bit simple so that you don't need attorneys in your typical typical process. So, you're saying for the, for the most part, what
0: the buyer can get back is their earnest money deposit, but the time that they lost into this transaction, it doesn't necessarily equate to anything. There's nothing they can do about that. Like, let's say, for example, you have somebody who has to sell their home uh, in order to qualify to buy the next home, and maybe they're in escrow, maybe they're not. I mean, let's say, let's assume they're tied up in, in escrow on this property they're going to buy. And then they sell their home and all of a sudden now they're, now they're stuck. They're supposed to be buying this other property and the seller's taking forever. Is there any recourse that the buyer can have? I mean, hypothetically?
3: Hypothetically, typically not. It's, it's whatever's in your contract. And that's why the contract drafting is important. If you put that remedy in there for your lost opportunity costs or seller's going to pay you, a, a, you know a per diem per day penalty because they're taking longer and you're paying your mortgage and other costs because they're not closing. Then you can go after those items, which is why it's important to talk to your broker or attorney to put those in there. In the commercial context, what we do a, a lot is uh, specific performance might not be good enough because maybe the seller enters into a new lease or gives you an easement down the middle of a property, and now it's worthless to you. Is we say you're going to pass for out-of-pocket costs. So our buyer spends ten thousand dollars on an attorney and other consultants and is out of pocket twenty grand. We say You're not going to pay for my, you know, my buyer, not my my lost cost, the time I spent into this, but all my third party costs, any money I'm actually out of pocket, you're going to reimburse me for that if you're in default to this agreement. So, Mm. but again, these
0: are, these are things that you have to put into place ahead of time, right? So this is something where you you write this these stipulations in your contract um prior to they're not naturally just built into a lot of these a lot of them are are more towards uh like like you were saying mitigation where you can just kind of negotiate between uh y- you have an arbitrary it's not court it's like a what do they call it um you
1: were, you were on the right track. The arbitration it's arbitration
0: right, right? so it's called it arbitration right so so that's, that's where you're going to sit down and talk talk it out basically decide amongst the two and then kind of separate and walk away
3: Exactly. And that's when you go back to the contract, your question earlier was why can't I just you know, come to an agreement because our oral agreement or our napkin agreement may not be long enough, you know, unless you have a really big napkin to go through all <laughs> it, to say, here's my deposit. But seller, if you don't close, if you're dragging, you know, where what are you going to do to make it right? Are you going to pay me per day? Because I have my home on the market and now I can't sell it because I'm waiting for you. You're dragging your feet. That's why the contract's important and you want to pay attention to it when you sign it because that's when you can put in these specific provisions to protect yourself.
0: Man, that's a lot of, that's a lot of planning. Cause you know, oftentimes when, when people are going into a transaction, they're not anticipating the length of one side of the other. They're putting, they're putting pressure on, on one side. Cause it's what's, What's uh pertinent or what's time consuming at that moment in time, uh, and then you know thirty days later, sixty days later, whatever it is. Now there's all this pressure on the other side, right? And it's kind of hard to 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 know a lot of this stuff up front, and that's kind of the reason why, for example, the the real estate purchase agreement in in uh in uh, the Association of Realtors is like ten pages long. There's so many stipulations built into this contract. They're trying to curve and anticipate things before they even happen. Uh, it's probably, you know when when you're when you're talking about the work that you're doing ahead of time and you're drafting things, are you trying to prevent to be ahead of a lot of these things to put things in contracts that may or may not happen?
3: Absolutely, we, we're trying to anticipate what what can go wrong and limit a buyer or seller's risk. So when you're the buyer, you do have a lot built in in the car form. It's you have contingencies, so you can go in there and say. I don't like the property, or I found mold, or there's a fire hazard, or my kids are gonna fall down the hill in the backyard. I can back out. And the car firm has built in those contingencies, your loan contingency, contingencies for disclosure of documents. And you can go a step further and say, you know, I have to, you know, I, I want to sell my my property, or if I know if I don't close within 30 days, I'm gonna be hit with these costs. So maybe that's another one you have, and that's why they have an addendum where you can do certain terms. Same thing with the seller. The seller says that, you know, if the buyer is dragging their feet and, and they're not closing I'll, and I'll flip the tables that the buyer may have an issue with the property that they were going to buy. So it can create this chain reaction. And then, you know, that, that seller and the seller beyond that, you can have you know, five, six people all dependent on the, on each other in terms of buying and selling residential real estate. So it is trying to think ahead and you never think of it or anything, you know, Um, right now it's taking because the banks are so busy, loans are taking a lot longer and it's not your typical loan contingency in these forms was 21, 21 days. It's taking 45 days for lenders to close. So it's leaving this gap where you, you kind of have to work with each other and be reasonable or over anticipate the amount of time a transaction is going to take and give yourself this cushion for due diligence or otherwise.
0: Let's uh, let's take ourselves on a little bit of a different real estate detour here. So, um, you know, there's a lot of, of investors out there that have been doing a lot of flipping of properties, right? Getting some distressed properties that need a lot of work. Uh, they come in, they do the work, they turn around and they sell them. What kind of, especially here in California, what kind of risk does a flipper have uh, going forward? Is there like a statute of limitations or something? After they complete the work on a property, sell it to a new buyer, if something goes, what are things that a flipper should be looking for, or or protecting themselves against when it comes to doing that, and then moving forward?
3: You really want to be careful with warranties and the work that you're doing because depending on how much it is as a, as a flip versus mm-hmm. a new construction, new construction in California, you know, so your typical contractors coming in there and doing work, there's a ten year period for latent defects. So you do something, buyer doesn't find out about it for a few years they can have a lawsuit. I actually have a client that is you know, is a pretty big flipper, and they just ran into that issue three years down the line. So you really want to be careful with how much work you're doing, the type of work you're doing, to be able to limit that exposure because in a contract, you can't get rid of that 10-year statute for, for latent defects. You can limit your actual warranties if you're giving any for, you know, I put a new, new, new tiles or I did a new roof what type of warranty you might giving to your buyer but you want to limit your exposure and that's why with a lot of flippers you may not do it at the beginning because you're doing one you watch HTV you see how easy it is mm. you don't think about all the risks but as you get bigger and you do more you start thinking about creating a limited liability entity an LLC or a partnership to protect your exposure so just in case mm. you did get sued it's not you personally and all your assets it's the entity that you actually took title to the property and did the work in.
0: So you're, yeah, that's that's a little bit different, though. What you're talking about here is if you're doing it as a flipper, you should have an entity doing the work. Not don't go into this thing as a sole proprietor, uh, as your own, you know, your your own. Yeah, what do you call it? Uh, I guess I'm just gonna call it self-employed. Don't go, yeah, sole proprietorship. Don't go into it on your own. Have an entity because what? If I'm hearing you correctly, avoiding the litigation isn't an option. The 10-year period is going to be there regardless. So have other protections in place like the corporate veil to protect you from any of these uh, defaults or defects that you might have done in the property, whether you did them or not, intentionally or not. Is that correct?
3: That's right. So there there are different types of uh, risk mitigation, but they're related. If you're actually going and doing the work yourself, then you would be on the hook for a lot of these warranties. If you're just the flipper and you're actually hiring a contractor to do the work. The contractor has the warranty and that latent defect. So you'd be more the middleman. But the more you grow, sometimes you might be starting to do work yourself. You can save costs. You, you can lay the you can lay those floors. You can do some of the work yourself. Now you're shifting that liability from the contractor to yourself. And by creating this entity, you're protecting yourself in both cases. Cost a little bit of money to set up, a little bit of taxes. But once you get hit with that lawsuit, if it ever happens, that entity is going to protect the other flips you may have going on, or your other assets, your business, especially if this is something you're doing on the side, you don't want to commingle everything and have a, a litigant or plaintiff be able to come after everything you have. And that's one cheap method that you're able to do to protect yourself.
0: So this is something heard uh, over and over again. The more successful you come as a as a company, the target is on your back. Um, what is it that uh, people who are who are getting ready to sue somebody, what is it that the attorney on on their side is looking for in order to make the lawsuit uh, you know more effective in other words if i 'm if I go to an attorney i 'm like hey, this happened to my to my house or this happened to my car or this happened to whatever what is that attorney looking for to make this lawsuit like okay, yes, this is somebody we want to go after
3: assets you want if someone doesn't have any money. There's no sense in pursuing them. You could be the best attorney. You could have a slam dunk case. But if the person that we're suing or the entity we're suing doesn't have money or some property, some type of assets to go after, why are you going to spend money on the attorney? And if it was a contingency claim where the attorney's getting a percentage, they're not going to want to pursue it because there's nothing for them to go after. So the first thing they're going to look at is make sure who we're going after and do they have enough money to make it worthwhile to pursue your claim because you're going to spend x amount of money pursuing it we're going to look at if they have assets and then the secondary question is what type of claim do you actually have a good claim um, if you have both of those combined then you've got a good lawsuit but you're, you're missing one or the other then it often doesn't make financial or legal sense to pursue that person
0: does an insurance policy does a gl policy does a worker comp policy does an insurance policy qualify as a as an asset that an attorney's looking for
3: it often does, especially you think about jumping away from real estate for a minute, but you're talking about, you know, a car accident, you get hurt, you get an attorney to sue the, the, the person that hits you. It's often not a claim against you're suing that person, but you're not looking at their assets. You're looking at the underlying policy or if they have an umbrella policy that you're able to go after and that's 500 grand or a million dollars. And you're really banking on the insurance company stepping in to go for that asset. Um, and it, it Lack to real estate, it works both ways. So we talked about entities protecting your assets. The other thing you can do is make sure you're adequately insured because before you even get to the entity, it's another line of protection. If you've got uh, a good liability policy and you're flipping a house, you've got vendors coming and going and say you have a FedEx package delivering you uh, some tiles, that that delivery driver slips and falls. Well, now they're going to sue you as the owner. Hmm. You have insurance. They're first going to sue, sued, but the insurance is going to step in. If and only if it goes beyond the insurance, then that liability protection kicks in and you're, you're behind that. So we're creating these barriers between you and the problem to making sure they have to jump through all of these hurdles before they can actually come after your personal assets. And that's you, more important. The more successful you get, the bigger target. You're absolutely right. The bigger target you have on your back because there's more assets to pursue. So,
0: and and I'm I'm asking you this from from a from a personal standpoint in the sense that uh, as we've become more successful, we have had to go through litigation, and oftentimes it's not even something we did. It's something like you were saying. It's almost like a third party thing. We had a situation where we had an independent contractor who had an employee who they had a scuffle. And because we were paying the independent contractor, we were named in the suit. Now we didn't lose the suit, but we ended up spending a good $40,000, 50000 to defend ourselves. So at, at one point in the life stage of a business, as you start to develop you know, your income streams, as you start to become more successful, when should we start looking at having an attorney, like a team either on retainer or in, in our back corner to avoid these types of, of litigations?
3: I would just say I'm a retainer, but you it, it's always a good practice to have you an know, attorney, just like any other consultant. As you're you know, flipping real estate right now, for example, you want to make sure you have a good team in place. And that includes a good insurance broker, you I mean, a residential broker, you want to have a good accountant, and another member of that team could be your attorney, and you can use them as little or as much as you want. And you might be doing a, a contract, and you want them to take a quick look at it to make sure that everything... Uh, it's as it should be and you're protected maybe in you know the contract with the independent contractor you want to make sure that, that that's appropriate now more than ever because it, in different businesses is becoming harder to have an independent contractor versus as an employee with the ab5 law that passed at the beginning of the, this year so the question is you really want to get them involved as early as you can especially if you're doing transactional work because you have a litigation attorneys that you know, you go to them when something's wrong, but a transactional attorney, which is what I do, I help clients when everything's going well and we're protecting them so that things don't go badly and they don't get the litigation attorney. And sometimes to your point, sometimes it's just a cost of doing business. It's nothing you did. Um, It's just something that happens. And that's why insurance is is a, a great asset to help protect you and maybe pick up some of those costs. But the more projects you do, eventually something's going to go wrong whether it's on your watch or something that someone else did and you're just connected to it and sometimes it's cheaper to settle it than fight it but it really the bigger you get it becomes a cost of doing business how
0: has your uh your life changed as far as creating like employment contracts or uh or or other those types of of uh paperwork type things for those 1099 people that are now reclassified because of the new law changes? How how has that been affecting you in business? Uh, how what are, what are what are employers or you know business owners doing to kind of mitigate that? And I don't want to say well yeah avoid. Uh, paying all the employment taxes and all the all the uh risk and and all the I, I don't have my words today. It must be Veterans Day, but everything that comes with hiring an employee, right? Everything that that you that happens, all the risk that you take when you hire an employee, we wanted to avoid that to keep it a, a 1099 person. But now with the laws, the way they're changing, following those ABC rules it makes things different. How's that
3: affecting you? It's as we talked about earlier. You asked about my my day a lot of them a day is on a phone with especially startups and new companies saying, I want to hire this person. Can I hire them as an intern? Can they be an independent contractor or an employee? And for the most part now in California, it's employee. There are certain exceptions for different industries. You know, Real estate brokers, one. We just had the proposition that passed where you know, Uber, Lyft, Postmates, those types of uh, that were, were going to be employees. They can remain independent contractors. But a lot of it is just making sure that you know, if it's unavoidable that you're properly classifying them as an employee, you're doing withholdings, you have the proper agreements in place with your offer letter, maybe an arbitration agreement with your employees, because to to classify them incorrectly, is going to end up costing you more money in penalties and other, other fines than it would be to do the withholding and pay the necessary taxes on the, the beginning. So that's just one of the areas where better to do it the right way from the outset, even as painful as, as it's gonna be in terms of costs, because if you do it the wrong way later on, it's gonna end up costing you more money. And that's something that, not just in the employment context, but creating entities as you a know, business attorney, creating your first business, sometimes it's expensive to do it right the first way around. But I can't tell you how many times we fix something because you wanna save that buck now, it's expensive, I don't need it. But then when you do, in a year or two years, it ends up costing you more money.
0: All right, last little thing here. Uh, we're, we're running to the end of time. I want to make sure that if people want to get a hold of you to ask their own questions, to get their own help, uh, can you, for our listening audience, let us know how we can get a hold of you?
3: Sure. Uh, you see my website scrolling at the bottom of the screen. Check me out on there. It's got my contact information. But feel free to call me. Uh, The number for the firm is uh, 310-552-3400, and my email is jlove, L-O-V-E, at com.
0: What's in store for the future, Mr. J. Love? You're going to take that deep voice down? You're going to do the uh, little bit of love talk from the real estate attorney? Anything in the future in, uh, in, in radio, Mr. Love?
3: What? You know, you got me so excited now. Again, I wish I went to medical school.
2: <laughs> 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 so a
3: little because of that, you know,
0: it's it's got to be a running joke amongst your friends, right?
3: Come on, they got they got to have stuff for you. It it, it always, be you know, the, the one nice thing about it is the name. I guess you know, decades ago, what was Lloyd? There was an I in there, and some at some oh. point, Ellis Island, they changed it to love. Sounds that's a that's a really good change because I know you mess up names <laughs> when I you know you check into a hotel you do get that oh I like your last name like that's that's pretty cool so yeah
0: well I mean I would be more worried about is that a name is that your real name is that for real like is that your real name my name is McLevin yeah McLovin, right uh excuse me sir can I see some ID <laughs> yeah
3: that'd be cool I'll, I'll 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 see if I can get a radio show you know legal questions or t- talking with uh. Talking with uh, Mr. Love.
0: You know what? Do a show on employment sexual harassment by Dr. Love. That'll go right. That'll go. You'll have zero problems there.
3: <laughs> okay. no, no potential issues.
0: No potential issues there. All right, ladies and gents. Jeff, thank you, thank you for coming on the show, man. Uh, a, a lot of a lot of valuable information for today. Uh, and thank you very much again, uh, ladies and gents. It is Wednesday. Tomorrow is SHIT. So happy, happy it's, Thursday. it's Thursday. And we will see you again manana. Jeff, thank you again for coming on the show, ladies Thanks. and gents. We will see you tomorrow. Peace. And we're out. Bye. -bye.
2: Thank you for listening to the Business Bros Podcast. Are you looking to get more clients or to increase your income? Hernan, the Business Bro, can help you generate referrals through the power of podcasting. And James, the Insurance Bro with Pipeline Insurance, can help you effectively add insurance to your existing business. If you are ready to create wealth today and generational wealth for tomorrow... Email businessbros at csfirst.com to schedule a free consultation or join the Business Bros Network, www.businessbros.biz.